0: Well, hello, and thank you for tuning in to episode 15 of the Life in Red podcast. Uh, This is a little bit of a special edition uh, of the podcast, and just before we got into everything, I just wanted to give those of you who might have a trigger warning to mental health or um, certain scenarios that I will be going into my struggle, my journey, um, and uh, that does involve my suicide attempt, so... If that makes you uncomfortable or you don't want to listen to it, I just wanted to give you a heads up before I kind of blindsided you. I um, appreciate you tuning in, and without further ado, welcome to the Life in Red podcast. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Welcome to Life in Red Hello there and welcome to, again, the special edition of the Life in Red podcast. Uh, Today, Wednesday, January 30th, 2019, it's Bell Let's Talk Day. Uh, That's um, an important day for a lot of Canadians. Uh, For those of you not in Canada, um, it's a day where one of our biggest companies kind of uh, started a campaign that for... Every tweet with the hashtag, um, you know, every share, I think there's a picture and there's like a video that goes around and every text um, from a Bell cell phone um, all contributes five cents to uh, mental health initiatives. Now, I know a lot of people say that this is a company kind of um, using all of us to do marketing for them and there's some truth to that aspect, but at the same time, there has been millions of dollars raised that has gone to um a variety of mental health initiatives you know here in ottawa chio comes to mind um so regardless of what you think of why a brand is playing um the part in our everyday conversation uh, i don't think there's any denying that since this day kind of started whatever it was five or six years ago uh, maybe even more that um, the mental health conversation has changed in our country drastically Um, it holds some special significance to me Uh, it was uh, 2015 when I decided to really share my story of my mental health struggles um, and kind of what I went through on social media and uh, that's kind of where you know my advocacy I guess you could say started um, noticing that when I shared my story how many people uh, reached out to me afterwards um, and talked about it with me and what they were going through, um, thanked me um, that, you know, I shared my story and that they knew there was someone to, to relate to. And uh, ever since that moment, I've continued to share my struggles, whether it's been, um, you know, the worst of times or just, you know, today I'm feeling kind of shitty um, and continuously hear feedback Um from other people that, you know, I, I know, and sometimes I don't even know, um, coming in and, and sharing their story. So I think there is a certain importance, uh, to, you know, if you feel comfortable sharing your story, the, that, you know, it reaches other people, but it also, um, the, the old adage that they don't feel alone. Um, you know, there's, there's literally millions of people in this world, uh, if not more of that, share in some similar struggle to you, whether it be with anxiety or depression or, you know, other mental illnesses. So um, it really helps foster community. And you can see that everywhere on Twitter, on Instagram, that people who share their story um, have an online support system um, that I think really helps. Um, So in preparation, I did um, kind of get out some stats that I'll go through as well uh, throughout the podcast as I talk about my story. But Um, a couple of things, uh, that I noticed that really stood out to me now. Um, women, um, are two to four times more likely to, um, attempt suicide, whether that's self-harm or attempt to, uh, commit suicide than men. Um, that's reported at least. Now, men are four times more likely to actually carry it out, um, on average, 77% of suicides are men. Uh, Which seems really crazy to me. (laughs) That, you know, three quarters of uh, suicides, which was um, 4,000 in Canada. So, you know, that was in 2016. 4,000 people in Canada in 2016 took their life. 77% of that being men. Um, cause of death uh, for men to 20 to 24 this uh, suicide is the seventh ranked cause of death of men that age the highest quota of men uh, that commit suicide 40 to 60 so men aged 40 to 60 um, they're at the highest risk of committing suicide so you know we might get into a little bit of why that is um, you know, I'm not a scientist, and I hope in uh, my search of a podcast here that I get people who are experts in this field, whether it be psychologists, uh, psychiatrists, uh, people who study mental health, whether it's the biochemistry in the brain, or can help give a non-biased political um, analysis of the way society is um, that is causing, you know, people, so many people, so many young people, and. So many old people, uh, you know, in the older generations that seemingly you would think have life figured out. Well, clearly that's not the case. Why they are choosing suicide as an option? Um, It's incredibly disheartening. Uh, There was a stat, and I didn't write it down, but um, kids—they're reporting, you know, some age, some as low as the age of eight, are, are attempting to commit suicide or performing self-harm in some way or another. Uh, up to 12 um, kids that young are displaying suicidal tendencies. And, you know, you get people, oh, well, they you know, they're looking for attention. Um, they're experiencing things uh, differently from what their generation did, whether that's expressing emotions or their feelings differently. Um, I, I think, for sure, social media and the internet plays a huge role in this. Um, there's nowhere you can go now to escape anything. Uh, I remember listening to a radio interview and it was discussing um, the the theme of the radio interview, uh, I believe it was from the CBC, was people who dropped out of school because of bullying. And there there was one guy who, you know, they dropped out of high school because the bullying was so, so severe. And he goes on to say that if you know he don't he doesn't think he would make it out alive today because at least when the bullying was so bad when he was growing up that he could go home and it was gone unless they followed him home but today there's nowhere you can go i mean you see it everywhere on inter- on the internet you know people uh, the president of the united states you know as as wild as donald trump and his things are and whatever your opinion of him go look through his his thread his thread on any one tweet of people tweeting at him. So called people who care, these woke individuals that, you know, will sit on their timeline at some cases, talk about mental health and how it's so important, but then be telling the president of the United States to kill himself. <laughs> people are creating burner accounts to attack people, you know, uh, direct messaging, uh, text message. Like these kids have nowhere to go. And, you know, to some extent, some of their parents are so absorbed in, you know, their own life, whether it be work or their own social media or their own problems that they don't have necessarily the resources or the time to help take care of those kids. Don't get me started on the lack of support and funding that, you know us as a society has to take care of our, our mental health. It's absolutely ridiculous. And the only time you can really get help immediately is when you reach that crisis point where something terrible happens. So, obviously, tons of things in society you know need to change. And we talk about it, and Bell Let's Talk Day comes on, and it's so great, we're talking about it, but where's the funding? Where's the actual support? Now, thousands upon thousands of people are, are finally speaking out and they're looking for help and you know some of them aren't getting the help that they need and we get into so many other problems in life whether that's that's bullying whether that's you know forms of harassment uh violence um you know it goes all to a point with this new incel community um you know shootings in the united states like I think a lot of the problems that adults experience uh, on such a massive scale can go and be traced back to mental health support through their adolescence and teen years, that they just didn't get the support. They didn't feel like they could go anywhere and talk. So that's why, you know, we're on the right track. There's a a good first step. Um, Thankfully, I was able to find help uh, going into it. Um, But, you know, not a lot of people... Or is lucky, or, or need more help than I did. So, um, keep in mind, thinking of all this, all this stuff as we as we go through. But I'd like to get into my journey a little bit. Um, I like to say uh, when I'm giving talks uh, to teenagers that 14 is kind of the year it it really started for me. It was nothing crazy. Uh, I grew up in an incredibly supportive home, loving parents, a great family. Um, you know, great grandparents, uh, tons of friends. So I didn't really know what was going on, but what really started to happen is I'd get these anxiety attacks at night. Um, And it kind of came from, which sounds weird, but thinking about death. And one day I would have to die and I had no choice in that. And I would start thinking about what that meant and what that would be like. And, you know, you start panicking and you got to take a, a big deep breath and it just it doesn't feel like you can take that that big deep breath that kind of feels relieving it gives you a sense of relief so i would try to take the breath and i couldn't so okay try again and i couldn't and start panicking a little bit like what what's going on and and you know try to take it, it another deep breath and it, it wouldn't come so you start breathing a little faster you start panicking a little more you're I dying? Am I dying? Am I having a heart attack? Like, what's going on? And you you can't catch your breath, and it's starting to panic. And, you know, eventually you just, you kind of, I start, you're, you're really freaking out. At least this is the way I was experiencing it. But it kind of would go away after a little bit. So I, I didn't really know what it was. Uh, I didn't understand what anxiety was or what anxiety attack was. And I kind of just left that to myself. It wasn't all the time. Um, it would only happen, you know, once every couple of months, if that. So I wasn't exactly worried. Didn't feel the need to tell anybody about it. Um, Didn't even understand that it was, you know, a part of my mental health at that point in my life. You know, you're just trying to figure things out and that's a thing that happened just like you know you get a growing pain (laughs) you just oh I got a growing pain okay and you try to move on with your life and eventually it goes away and that's kind of the way it was Um, I didn't realize it was common to hear talk people talk about it till much later along in life Um, but that's the way it kind of was until at least I was 16 now 16 is the year um, it really started to take effect of my life? Um, I would say I, I really started noticing it um, as aside from the anxiety attacks at that time. Um, but I had my first relationship, and I consider it my first love. Um, and she ended up uh, cheating on me and leaving me for another person at her high school, and like it, this left me irrationally devastated like uncontrollable sobbing heartbreak like like was sickness like i would i would throw up like i i could only describe it as heartache and i kind of isolated myself from everything this was going into the summer um and i kind of locked myself in a room for the most of the time and and played world of warcraft in a dark room i would play until six in the morning you know, waking up at 2 p.m., 3 p.m., 4 p.m. I remember coming, uh, upstairs. I was, my room was in the basement. I came upstairs one day and then looked at my mom. I was like, what's for lunch? She looks at me all, what do you mean for lunch? It's like, well, I haven't eaten. Like, what's, is there anything for lunch? And she's like, Ryan, it's, it's five o'clock. I'm getting ready for dinner. I'm like, what? What?" Literally slept till five o'clock. Um, you know, as cliche as it sounds, um, I was really, I got really into metal music um, and songs that kind of had really sad lyrics um, and or were about, like, heartbreak, being alone, death, suicidal thoughts. Um, I, I luckily had friends that played World of Warcraft with me, so I wasn't completely away from everybody. But I didn't talk to them in real life, really. I literally just... We'd talk on our little microphones and, you know, maybe Facebook or MSN or whatever the point was at that time. I believe it was grade 11 or 10. (laughs) Um, And, uh, yeah, we basically, that was it for my summer. Um, I remember finding myself really drawn to dark, dark things, um, dark poetry, dark stories. Um, I became kind of anti-religious at that time and I read things like you know um, the the Satanic Bible and um, there's another one I can't remember like the uh, higher the heresies guide to life or something and felt that like kind of resonating with me um, you know dark music which funny enough I still listen today but bands like Slipknot like all of a sudden really started to speak to me Linkin Park um, and getting into even, like, heavier metal, like Cannibal Corpse and, you know, Gojira and uh, all these types of bands. Um, it was weird. Because I wasn't, like, that stereotypical gothy kid that you would attribute to that, you know? the Marilyn Manson. Like, still, you know, wearing cargo shorts and shirts that were too big. Um, but, you know, that's what I really got into. And even though that has stuck with me, um, I look back on it and I was looking for things that kind of felt like i could relate to and understand and um you know again people weren't talking about their mental health and that other people were experiencing the same things as me um it was the internet that was providing the things that i felt understood me in a way um i thought it was kind of A moment in my life just i was i was heartbroken i was gonna get through it and eventually i'd get over it and get back to my normal self um but was clearly um turned into you know what started to be my mental health um you know went through all the normal things left home at 18 to go to college and had a bunch of friends i had a girlfriend um had really good grades all through the end of high school um And, you know, had 90s in college. And I'm going to skip ahead to 21 because the rest is kind of, it's boring. It's just not really there. Um, It was just, you know, typical life stuff. But when I was 21, this is the year that it changed. Everything kind of changed. So I was out of school now. Um, All my friends I grew up with, you know, we were still in touch. But they were all off in different towns doing different things. Um, you know, I was just graduated college, gotten a job right out of school and a field that I wanted. And, you know, it was great. Here we go. The start of my life. What they had me do was, um, you know, I was trying to get into the, the radio business and, um, I talked about this actually in a previous podcast, but they, in the interview, I told them my weakness was, uh, calling people on the phone. I hated it, such anxiety about it. Um so when they found this out, they proceeded to have the first job uh they offered to me was cold calling people, which is basically I'm um, calling people um out of the blue uh and trying to gain a relationship for sales. <laughs> and you know, no fault on their own. They were challenging me and I was like, "You know what? I'm going to take this challenge. I'm going to do it." And uh every day before work, I would throw up profusely. Um it was awful and such anxiety and, um, you know, was it a success? No. Was it a total failure? No, not as well. But they ended up letting me go, um, after about three months, my probation period. Um, so that was like a huge setback. At the time without really understanding, I was really mad. I was pissed off. I didn't think it was fair. I didn't think I got a chance. Um, you know, in hindsight that opinions changed, but, um, you know, 21 year old who's experiencing, um, mental health issues uh you know doesn't exactly see or think rationally about some things um and that i'll get into that a bit later here with being 21 but you know combine that with some things that i was definitely ignoring so i was in another relationship and uh it was kind of like a really big honeymoon at the start everything was really great but um you know as you get into it and couple years in uh, you realize you don't have a lot in common different goals and you, you try changing yourself to make the relationship work and it, it just it wasn't working but I was too scared to let go uh, I gained a ton of weight freshman 15 more like freshman 50 5 zero, uh, I gained probably about 30 or 40 pounds um, just from you know I'm not playing hockey anymore as much um, you know not exercising, um, eating like complete junk whenever I wanted. It was bad. And I just let myself go. Um, like I said, all my friends were in different places now. It was, it was all different, a different experience. And it started to come to the point where every day as I was driving into that job, um, dreading going into work, I felt like I was like a song would play on the radio and, I would feel like I'm about to burst into tears. Everything felt so touchy. I started withdrawing from um, wanting to have sex, um, was not interested. I was just interested in sleeping. Um, I just wanted to go to bed. Not not at all down for it um, at all. So um, this was kind of the critical thing that was building up. Um, and as I said in the intro, this is where I decided and planned that I was going to take my own life. Um, I didn't tell anyone about this until, stupidly, I just posted it on social media with no, no foresight to my family or friends that I was going to do this or that I even committed suicide. I just posted it on social media. So, uh, pretty stupid, um, so, you know, before I put this podcast up and I tell you about this, um, I will be reaching out to them. Um, so what I plan to do to commit suicide at that time is on my drive uh, to work, I was going to um, drive again. Please, this is not a person thinking rationally uh, drive into oncoming traffic on one of the busiest highways in the country um the 17 going up to renfrew and that um i would make it seem like it was an accident um so my parents would never have to know that i would try to take my own life um and that it would have just been a tragedy um one that ended up happening when i decided to do it is uh, I did the swerve at a time when a a big um, pickup truck was coming. Um, And I guess as I swerved in, he caught with enough time, and he swerved out of the way, and I flew into the ditch. So what ended up happening is he stopped and ran over to me and I was crying and nothing crazy. I ended up not going in too fast. Um, I just kind of dinged up the bumper in the front end a little bit, but I must've hit my knuckle on something. I have a scar on my knuckle now from it. Uh, but it wasn't crazy. It wasn't like the car was totaled or anything. Um, so fortunate in that way. And I was sobbing in tears. Um, and the guy kind of asked, like, are you okay? What what was happening? What Like, what happened there? And I kind of told him, you know, um, it was just an accident. Uh, I'm okay. Um, just scared me a little bit. Um, so we, we got the car up. The ditch wasn't too, too deep. And uh, I said it was okay. Uh, it was just outside of Renfrew. So... Uh, I was just going to go to work, and if I needed to, um, would, would check into the hospital. And, uh, to this day, Ford F 150, um, you know, he oh, looked okay, okay, um, well, take care of yourself and drove away. So, you know, incredibly fortunate that one, like, it just seemed like an accident, um, and a misstep of something. So, you know, there was no, rage or animosity um i didn't want to tell him what i was trying to do because you know looking back what an incredibly selfish act that i could have taken out someone with me stupid um but again um, and this is why when i see people who criticize people for taking their own life uh, as it being a selfish act and I, I again in that moment yeah i uh, i'm being incredibly selfish as you're looking at it viscerally, but you need to understand where the person who's committing the act or has made the decision to take their own life that they aren't thinking about all those things. They like in their mind, this is what they're doing. This is the best idea and this is what they're going to go for. And they're not thinking about, you know, it's, it's there. They know that, you know, their family's going to be hurt or their friends or the, the impact that it's going to have. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, it'll hurt them, but they are better off without me. And that's exactly where I was. All these people, I knew all this pain that I could cause. Um, but they would all be better off without me. And then just to be truthfully honest, I was not thinking about the other person, um, who was going to be involved in my act. Um, I didn't think about their safety to be quite honest. It was all kind of about me. So yeah, that is selfish, but my mind wasn't processing things clearly. Um, So after that moment, it's kind of like a wake up call um, for me. And I decided to tell my mom not about the incident, but uh, about how I was feeling, and I kind of opened up to them. Um, I didn't tell them about it because I knew it would break their heart. I could have told them it was an accident, but um, decided just to go on without telling them. Um, but after I opened up, um, went to the doctor, went on some medication, which seemed to kind of take some of the edge off. I know a lot of people are kind of against the medication route because they make it feel it says you make you feel numb um makes you like immune to emotions and I, I don't think that's true at all um i still get incredibly sad um i would say maybe i don't experience the highs quite as much i don't get super overly jumpy excited about things and i know that bugs some people because they're clearly stoked about it um about something, you know, let's go here for dinner. Let's go on vacation here. And I'm kind of like, yeah, that, that's fun. And, like, the, the, they're expecting more of a reaction. And, it, like, it breaks my heart when it seems like they seem deflated. And I'm just, you know, sometimes I fake it and sometimes I just can't. Um, so that that's one of them. Um, but on, on the overhaul, I still can laugh. I can still smile. I can still feel a little bit of happiness and joy, um, which is you know, without it, I wouldn't be feeling that. So that's huge. Um, the, the big thing is I, I find trouble losing weight. Um, that's incredibly difficult for me and, um, you know, TMI, but, you know, it's really, really hard for me to, um, get off, um, sexually, um, it takes a lot of work. Um, and sometimes I just won't at all. So that's one of them, but I think meds in with everything else. um, you know, healthy diet, exercise, support, social, uh, not social media, social circle, um, meeting people. That's that's huge. Um, to go along with the medication to work, um, to make it work, because um, it's not a magic pill. It's not just going to help. Um, take a pill and everything's good. Um, did a little bit of therapy, um, and things did start to get better, and... You know, I kind of formulated a plan for what my life was going to be and uh, got really into it, got really motivated, which was great. I started thinking about the future, um, the suicidal thoughts and everything. They didn't quite go away, but I, I kind of learned about myself and through the therapy and through research and reading that being goal oriented um, makes me motivated. That, that got me going um it got me to the age of 23 was you know um I was back in university I said I was going to try again and I started to work for my favorite radio station um I was I was an unpaid intern but didn't really care because for the first time in a while um you know I took a year there and all through you know the last half of being 21 to 22 um I was working at a gas station which I loved but that was not my life and um, so I started working at a, at a station. Everything seemed uh, on the right track. Um, but, you know, a couple things happened. And, you know, there's people lost their jobs. I lost some friends, some major changes, mass layoffs. Um, my own life, you know, I was poor. Um, I'm not saying I was in poverty, but I had no money. Everything was dedicated to school. So stressing about that. Um, no luck with my dating. Uh I was really living alone and felt alone. So that's when, I guess, this was, yeah, 2015, um, Bell let Talk Day, I decided that this was the time where I was going to just share my struggle. I'm not really sure what came over me about why I decided that day and I was going to do that. But, you know, I was like, you know what? it's it's raises money and maybe, I don't know, uh, my story can help people. So um, I put out... Some tweets about you know how I actually felt um, my suicide attempt uh, and it kind of went viral to an extent on on Twitter and the the people who knew me at that time I would say that they would be in complete shock when I put that out there not only about that I once once tried to commit suicide but that I was also depressed and lonely and, you know, self-deprecating and um, suicidal. Like, it. that I lived that because I was always the person, and how many times do you hear this, that came in happy-go-lucky and tried to make everybody else laugh. I mean, how many times do you hear that? Um, what surprised me about this is the overwhelming response, and this is what I was talking about earlier, of support. So from family, friends, acquaintances, people I didn't even talk to in high school reaching back out, and strangers on the internet who are just following this hashtag coming into my DMs. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, You know, they were sharing their story. Uh, We had conversations about it, and uh, it was that moment that I knew I wasn't alone and that words and stories did have power towards people. So since that point, I've continuously shared my, my experience, um, not only back then and what I continue to feel now, um, out to people. And I do that on a regular basis. I don't want my social media to be, Oh, look at Ryan with, this music person or he's at another festival and he's all at this and all that stuff is great, but I don't want people to forget that while I'm doing that, I probably feel like shit. This has led all into everything else. Um, you know, going through the struggles of adulthood and life, um, and, you know, using where I'm at now in my career to, Influence and affect change in in this area where I know that people are talking about it, but they need to raise money So that's where I got the cause or pause idea um, Why I you know d- done the run for women and you know, this is all kind of where I'm at now That I understand that so many people are talking about it that the funding is needed more than ever and what I do for a living is not only promote, you know, clients and brands, but you know, I have the power to support charities and give the message out, um, and that's why I wanted to develop something, um, and that's where Cause for Pause came up. And for those of you who don't know what Cause for Pause is, it's a, it's um, a campaign I started to run in May, which is Mental Health Month, um, in support of Do It for Darren, which is a wonderful charity here in Ottawa. Um, that uh, the money goes to supporting youth mental health. Um, And it also supports a dog rescue, sit with me, that if you're listening to this now and have the ability to donate, they are also in need of help um, with what they do, which they're a dog shelter rescue. So um, taking in dogs in need and putting them back and ready for adoption. Um, So what we do is we set up at five different locations um, across Ottawa uh, once each day for a week and people can come make a donation and spend some time with these dogs um that are all fully adoptable or will be adoptable um meet them and distress and you know just laugh around with these cute little puppies and learn about them and um, all the money then goes to be split uh, between the two charities so that's where all that came in um you know, what I'm also doing now, uh, you know, I'm speaking um, at a program, uh, Is It Just Me?, which is held um, at the Royal, um, also is funded by DIFD. So that, that's a big thing. Um, the, the things I also do, and it's incredibly important, is healthy diet, for the most part, and exercise. Those two things, uh, especially exercise, has been a huge outlet because it allows me to get the aggression and anger and the violence part of, you know, my mental illness when I'm angry and frustrated. That That's all gone. So I still feel sad. But one of the things uh, that also is just setting these little accomplishments, and I talked about this uh, in episode two of the podcast, um, Mental Health, you know, I make my bed every morning. I brush my teeth in the morning. Uh, even I eat my breakfast. It's it's routine, but also doing these little tasks just to get me in the right mindset throughout the day. And this is so big for me because, you know, the balance, the routine, uh, you know, it allows me to stay disciplined in my life um, because I'm incredibly afraid that if I don't continuously, you know, Exercise or accomplish this task or do those things that I'm going to fall off the, the rails and I'm not going to get back up. So that's what I do. I don't know if that helps anybody else. But, you know, that's where I'm at today. And let me tell you, I, I struggle immensely still. Um, I have a great job. I have a, an amazing girlfriend. Again, amazing family, supportive boss, supportive uh people in my life and yet I still feel isolated and lonely. It's like being in a room full of everyone that's important and loves me and yet I still feel alone. It's hard and I don't understand why. So I still struggle quite a bit. You'll see me on social media posting about it quite a bit, but again, it's important to to keep reminding people that just because things seem good on social media, it's it that's not always the case and i i think a lot of people know that um so some of the things i like to do to to remind young people when they're talking about their mental health create an environment that supports it because so many people and this is one of the biggest issues i have you you know i i've complained about people on the left and and stuff like that even though i'm you know i vote liberal or ndp most of the time is You'll see them and you'll see them today on Bell Let's Talk Day promoting mental health and wellness and stuff like that. But then they're constantly hating on on different groups and different people. Like imagine me already self-deprecating. I I have a hard time with self-worth and self-confidence popping onto my Twitter and finding out why I'm such a bag of shit because I'm a white guy. When I want to talk about that, people, oh, he's so fragile. Oh, snowflake. Oh, white privilege. Oh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And while that's maybe in an extent um, part of society and cultural problems and whatever, that's fine. Whatever your argument is. But think about what that does on a person's mental health. Especially somebody who has a mental illness. You know, like I said about Donald Trump. How can you sit there and say you support mental health and you are encouraging other people when all you do is shit on people and that's your entire life? You're you're whether it's you're, you know, white supremacist and you're against, you know, everybody else or you're a minority group and you really hate white people, like we need to foster a community that's not about hate and is more about understanding. I'm not going to get cliche and say about love, but really that's what it's about. Compassion and empathy for your fellow human. And like social media, it's... You want to talk about toxic masculinity? Talk about toxic... so Like social media is toxic in general. That's fostering a terrible community for mental health and it's so hard to break because, you know... I know how bad it is for me, and yet I go on, and I look at it, and I seek out these incredibly toxic and, and, you know, abusive, outrageous behaviors from people who are claiming that they're doing the right thing. It's so bad for my mental health because I get so frustrated about it, and I talk about it. So I get it. It's hard to break, but man, social media... Where does mental health fall on the oppression scale? That's what I always say. Um, mental illness, you know, are they not disenfranchised? Are they not getting the support? Are they not discriminated against? How right they are, but oh, you know, people are going to base it on the color of your skin, no matter what color of your skin or what gender you are or how you sexually identify. Unfortunately, mental illness and our mental health in general is something that relates all human beings to each other. I think maybe a little more focus on that and having some compassion and empathy for people and what they're going through and what struggles they're going through. Because you can claim white privilege all you want, but the stats don't lie. Majority of people who commit suicide are white men. And you can argue whatever that is. Is it the reinforced stereotype of masculinity we have? Possibly, you know, men don't share their feelings, which is, you know, big. They feel the pressure of, you know, having to put the back of their families, um, their children. they, They feel like their shoulders and backs are the ones to burden the problem. You can argue that. But when you're sitting there and just claiming white privilege on, on people or, or privilege, or that they're coming from a lesser stent, stance than you in life, just because that does not discredit their struggle. And especially when it comes to their depression. So yeah, sure. Men are trash and they do some shitty things. So maybe the problem with all the things they do it relates back to mental health i don't know that's one theory i would love to have studied when you take a look again talked about it guns mass violence the incel community um you know violence sexual harassment you know how much can that be attributed to somebody's you know mental health in general whether they have a mental illness and could. have we as a society intervened with that person at an earlier stage and give them the resources, the resources, the tools, the people that they need to find success when they were 12, 14, 16, 21? Could we have maybe, I don't know. I don't have the research. But I'm a big believer that and it's why I put so much effort into the D.I.F.D. campaign, because if you can give those people as they're going through all the hormonal changes, the changes in their life, um, you know, the everything's crazy in high school, whether you look back at it, people are just there's no rational thought where people with little brains. Then you think you know it all then, but you don't. You give them what they need and the support and where to go when they really need help. Maybe maybe that we could negate a a good chunk of all the shitty things that seem to happen when we're adults. I believe that. I would love to get it funded and if I'm proven wrong and so be it. But give the people the tools they need when they're young so that when they're adults they know how to deal with things like rejection, whether it's in dating or professionally. And things like dealing with conflict in teaching respect for not only themselves, but other people instead of leaving them high out to dry as teenagers, only to manifest with a mental illness into, you know, deep, dark thinking, bad thoughts, you know, or taking their own life, whether that be it through their own self-harm or, you know, going out with something, incredibly violent and in, in claiming the life of other people. I think I really believe that I would love one day for us to get the real answer on that. But if I would love to leave you with anything, just have some, have some compassion for everybody, no matter who you are, compassion and empathy. What are they going through? What types of things have they experienced in their life? What to make them this way? doesn't mean you have to agree doesn't mean you have to support it doesn't mean that what they're doing isn't illegal but try to understand what makes them the way they are i think if we do that we can absolutely you know foster a, a more community for the adults seeking help and then we focus on funding the kids teenagers who are going through it and are about to go through some of the biggest brain changes in their life and help them out. So treat each other with respect, empathy, compassion, and for God's sakes, please fund, fund money into these systems, whatever you choose to believe. But it's so critically important if we're to move forward as a society, whether it's, you know, helping veterans, helping kids, helping mental health institutions, charities, like get involved and help if you can financially, because that's what we really need. Because right now the government isn't stepping up. I talked about it on an earlier podcast, taking a look at, you know, suicide rates in, you know, indigenous communities and reserves. It's It's astronomical we are not doing the part with our taxes and through our government so why don't we do the part as people as fellow human beings to one another take care of each other and don't forget bellets talk day five cents for every tweet with the hashtag sharing the video or text so get out there start funneling out messages start saving drafts in your tweets and banging them off for next year if you can't this year it's critically important. And if you feel comfortable, share parts of your story. Share what you're going through. Um, it can be an enormous relief. You know, helped me. I know it's helped some other people. And there's a, an incredible, you know, you might get the judgment from your friends or people you know on Facebook or whatever and claiming you're just doing it for attention. I know I did. But there, aside from that, there's an incredible supportive community on all social media platforms that will really look out for you. You have, you know, distress center, suicide hotline, tons of different avenues that you can go to at 24 seven kids help phone. You are not alone. You truly are not alone. And I had to learn that the hard way. And my wish is for you to know that you are not alone the easy way and that we can focus on getting better and focusing on a, Uh, more fruitful life with more in store for it. So fund, tweet, get out there. uh, And my DMs are always open whether it's through my uh, personal page at Ryan one or the Life in Red podcast page uh, whether it's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. DMs are always open for anybody who feels like they need someone to talk to. Um, I always put it out there. um, And some people take Some people do, some people don't. That's your choice, but uh, I'm always happy to listen. Uh, I understand, to some extent, what it's like, so I'll put it out there. Um, Thank you for listening. Thank you for letting me share my story with you and and my thoughts on this. Um, It's incredibly important to me, Um, and I think if we all take it as seriously as it truly is, that society can be a lot better. Uh, Much love to you all, and uh, we'll talk to you again next time. (laughs) You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Welcome to Life in Rabbit